0: It is uh, snowmageddon all over the U.S. right now. I am down in California still, so luckily we do not have that. It is cold here, but it's uh, we're not seeing the snow. But my family up in Washington has been saying they're starting to get it. So hope everybody stays nice and warm um, out there. I'm gonna we're gonna heat you up a little bit with some knowledge on real estate today. We have Dobbs Ackerman with us. Um, he is a multifamily man with over a billion dollars in total assets built and acquired. Um, billion with a big B, so that is a big number, and I'm sure he has a lot of wisdom from all those transactions. So, uh, Dobbs, thank you very much for hopping on the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate being here.
0: Absolutely. Um, I told you right before we got on here, we like to start with stories, so take us back to the beginning of your story. How'd you get started in real estate?
1: Great. Great. So um, company started in about 1938 from my grandfather, built four family apartment buildings, would build them, lease them up, sell them to investors, do it over and over and over again. My father got involved in the 60s and he really started doing all sorts of um, construction, started a fairly decent sized construction company, did housing, uh, warehousing, storage facilities, built churches car washes, land development. Um, I worked in the company ever since I was about 12, uh, sweeping floors, digging ditches, running heavy equipment. Um, In 1992, when I graduated from college, I came into the business and started working in all facets of real estate and all kinds of these different asset classes. And in about 1998, I um, came to my father and said, I think we need to concentrate on one thing and we should pick which one is the best asset class we've been involved in historically. And we believed that to be the apartment industry. It was the lowest risk profile of what we did. We had a good infrastructure for it. And um, he believed in what I was saying And in 1998, he not only believed in what I said, he said, well, why don't you just go do it? And he handed the reins over to me, and I started the process of getting out of all the other um, lines of real estate that we were in, which took about 10 years to do. um, And then started um, trying to take what was a 400-unit portfolio of apartments and then start to turn it into um, a business concentrated on building and buying apartment communities in the Midwest. Very
0: cool. Um, yeah. I even, you know, you and I were talking about this right before we got on here. Um, I was mentioning like, it's it's really hard in real estate to, to not get the shiny object syndrome where you're just like, oh, there's this asset class. There's this asset class. There's this strategy and just bounce around to all these different things. But sounds like you guys really, um, or you recognize the value in sticking to one asset, mastering that asset, understanding it through and through, really build vertical integration um, in that one asset. So uh, it makes a lot of sense when you were, when you made that decision, what were some of the um, kind of growing pains, I guess, that you guys experienced? Um, One, divesting yourself from all those other assets, and then two... Uh, focusing on um, multifamily?
1: Well, I think your comment on the shiny objects is right on. I mean, anything you can make money on in real estate becomes very attractive. <laughs> and so trying to be disciplined took 10 years to actually do it. It was really hard. Um, and then the other part, well, I will say that I do think that the business has to follow your personality. And Um, apartments is a people business. And if you like building a big team, if you like um, creating an environment, um, I think the business has to follow your personality. And the personality of the group that is here, and my executive team, a lot of them have been here for over 25 years. And um, it fit with the team the personality of what we were doing in the business around apartments yeah. and so we really just started building the systems from historic management um, and approaches to construction um, and finance to then build a company around um apartment acquisition and and development
0: yeah yep that makes sense um you mentioned earlier you you chose apartments because you said it was the it had the lowest risk profile um is that completely based on a demand perspective or uh what else because you know I, I even mentioned this before the podcast i've thought about buying apartments in the past um but i always get cold feet because i know you know i've done single family flips and i know the minute you you put a hammer to those walls there's there can be something behind the walls that you had no idea and it could just completely destroy your underwriting so i know that like You know, buying a large multifamily property um, does have risk. So what do you mean by it, it had the lowest risk profile?
1: So when we looked at all the things we were involved in, retail, office, land development, home building, storage facilities, car washes, warehouses, there was something unique about the apartments. And while they didn't always make the most money over certain periods of time, they were the most consistent of always making money and so we thought from an investment perspective um, we originally just did this with our own money and now we um, in about 2008 we went to using investor money and and then now we use uh, we build funds and um, um, uh, bring all the investors together and into multiple deals we thought for ourselves we wanted to take a conservative approach in regards to using other people's money and so to us that also meant um picking a more conservative asset class Mm -hmm. and that was apartments and um and my grandfather would say and my father would say everybody always needs a home and so if you build or buy the right property, and you keep it in the right condition, constantly reinvesting into it, while you may not make the most money out of everybody in what you're doing, you will have a very consistent approach. And that's what we really were looking for in what we were doing.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I've actually, I just read, I can't remember which report it was, but I read that Uh, apartments are getting to the point where it's overdeveloped in in a lot of major metros out there. Um, Is that what you guys are seeing? Uh, Are there specific metros that you feel still have a lot of opportunity on the development side?
1: I think we are seeing that as headline news in a lot of major markets. If you look at where we are in the Midwest, we do not experience that. If you look at second-tier markets, which is really what we're concentrated on we do not see that. We take a pretty specific approach to this, and and we look at the demographics within a marketplace. And then we look at the creation of jobs. Apartments follow jobs. And in a lot of markets, we see there's job creation, four to one, five to one, six to one, versus new construction of apartments. Mm. Okay. It's pretty easy to do. If you okay. just look at your jobs reports and your demographics, where you want to be in a community, your rent profile, you're able to see how apartments will fare in a market. Yeah, A, a lot of the very hot markets, Charlotte, Nashville, Atlanta, um, the Texas market, some of the Florida markets, some of the markets out West, Denver, Um, they are blowing up and they've built so much that I think we're going to see a little bit of softness. But if you look at a lot of the other markets, second-tier markets, Midwest markets, we just aren't going to see that. We don't have the construction volume that's occurred. But in a lot of the markets, we're now starting to see a lot of job creation that's occurring. And that's really what we're following and looking for in regards to markets that we wanna operate and buy in. We just think it's a much safer avenue. It may not be as glamorous as some of the big markets, but um, you can have a steady return and a safer return um, when you look at the long run of um, being in in the market.
0: Yeah, so second tier job growth. Second tier markets with job growth is what you're looking for.
1: Yep. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so you already mentioned that, uh, you know, one of the steps that you took when you decided to go all in on multifamily was you had to build your team around multifamily. Um, how did, how did it change from the team building perspective? How did that change uh, when you went from looking at all these different types of asset classes to looking at just one?
1: Well, um it, it it morphed and it took a lot of time <laughs> to figure this out. I would say we probably, we really didn't figure it out until about 2016 mm-hmm. and we had to figure out what the purpose of our company was Just and the what, for,
0: the, for the 2020 spike, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what we, what we finally realized was the purpose of our company was about the people in our company. Mm-hmm. And so we, Really um, understood through our guiding principles, did we have the right people on the team? Did we have the right purpose around what we were doing as a business? And what changed for us is we have taken an approach that what's what's first important is the people in our company. And if we can figure out how to uh, operate and run a company dedicated first to the people that work in it, then... Those people, because they have the support, the structure, and the environment, they actually are in a position to then take care of people that live in our communities. And so we were able to take our guiding principles from a company perspective and then start to look at how can we move that even out to a community perspective. And ultimately, we then created operating principles at the community level to create our voice. Mm. You have 400 people, 600 people living in a community. That community can quickly take on its own personality. Mm. And sometimes that's okay. Sometimes that's not okay. And so we wanted to make sure we were creating the voice and the environment that we wanted even down at the community level. But we had to start at the company level. Um, to really be able to do that. And so when we take say we take a people-first approach, it's people-first in our company, and by serving them, then we can actually serve our communities. That took a really long time to figure out of what that meant. I mean, it starts with salary and benefits, then it goes to culture, then it goes to environment and condition, engagement, communication. It's a lot that all of a sudden you're trying to dissect to really then operate, we think appropriately, um, a large scale format of running real estate, knowing that we want to self-manage. We, we only want to buy things that we're going to manage ourselves. Um, we've just had a lot more success doing that than handing it off to third parties. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's, uh, that's something that I, um, I mean, everything you said rings really true for me. You know, when you're making small tweaks at the top, um especially when it comes to like policies, values, that kind of things,, uh, it really has an impact um, all the way down. Uh, it's something that I really want to get, you know my my uh, company to is to the point where we can bring everything in house um, and because that really, I feel like that really does have an effect on the return that you get on the property and just how the quality control that you can have. Uh, with operations, um, when you're using third-party property management, of course there are good property managers out there. I don't want to, um, you know, say anything negative about, about property managers. They do great work, uh, but if you can bring it in in-house, then you really have a lot more control, um, and you you can make sure that what's happening at the property is in line with uh, with your values and what you you're trying to accomplish. So, um, I like I like that.
1: We've we've found that we can get a couple more points of return. Mm -hmm. Uh, A couple percentage points of return that's a little bit better. And then we can also, um, we get to spend a a little bit more time on the asset condition. And combined with that, um, we are able to position a property from a long-term basis um, in a condition that in good or bad markets is going to maintain occupancy and income. Mm -hmm. And we've just found that critical when we typically look at a 10 or 12 year horizon on any property that we buy or build for a hold period. And then looking for the opportunity during that 10 or 12 years for where is the job market slowed? And when we see a peak coming in the market based on cap rates and interest rates, is there an opportunity then to sell and really garnish the highest return we possibly can. While at the same time, looking at our team and making sure that we're not making a poor decision for the team um, that's within a particular region of um, losing scale to operate.
0: Um, is there a a return on IRR that you guys uh kind of have a as a baseline that you want to achieve I know every market's going to be different but um is there a specific number that you you shoot at um, for all your properties
1: so in our in our funds for just buying existing real estate we look at a minimum of a cash on cash return of eight percent over the life of the deal and um, a minimum of uh um, IRR over the deal. Now, historically, we've been able to operate um, north of a 20% IRR over the last 15 years. So we've had some great numbers. Um, When it comes to underwriting, we use that as the baseline of what we're doing. And then we look for the opportunities that we can begin to bring. Maybe there's a little bit more income through cable and internet. Maybe we are able to, through our utility programming, able to garnish a little bit more efficiencies for the tenants Mm -hmm. and for ourselves in regards to some additional income there. As you go into a market and you get a little bit of scale, you're also able to then drive some of your efficiencies from a management company so you can bring a little bit of dollars back there. So it's just a lot of little parts and pieces that you've got to start with your baseline of what you know. So that's the minimum. If you've got a minimum and you know you can operate on to that, then our approach is then to just say how can we start chipping away at that and can we get to 13? Can we get to 14? Can we get to 15? Can be we be advantageous in the markets on how we structure the deal and then can we start driving that return. Oh. And one of the biggest things I just wanted to get out to everybody if you don't mind is there's one program that's been the most successful program we've ever seen in our history. Uh, we've partnered with Freddie Mac on every, almost every one of our deals. And they have something called a supplemental loan process. And that is where you lock in your base debt when you buy the deal. And then as you increase your net operating income, you're able to go back in small tranches of a million dollars minimum every year, or I think the first seven or eight years of the deal, and you're able to add to your loan. So your original loan is locked and it's its rates and its term
0: ten million dollars five percent, let's say.
1: and then you get to add each year based on your growth in NOI, never really going outside of your loan to value covenants from the original structure of the deal. Hmm. The key to it at That's the end really- of the day,
0: ELOC, I mean, I'm just gonna use that word, but you're essentially doing a cash out refi, but it's not, you're not refinancing, you're just adding debt onto the existing, you know, agreement that you already already have with the bank.
1: That's right, and and the key to it for any of the investors out there is, we always want risk off the table. And so by returning equity, um, we wanna get that risk off the table of the original equity that's in the deal. Mm -hmm. And so this helps your IRR, Historically, we've been able to return about all our equity within about five to six years now in regards to our structure and our approach. And as we think about investing in real estate, um, you know, it is about the return. Yes, we are a management company. We have all of our goals and our approach there. When you think about an investor, it's about the return. We have a job to do. We got to get risk off the table. We've got to create return and we've got to do it as fast as we can. And we got to protect the asset the whole way that we do this. So I just think if anyone has a chance, they should look into this program, um, nationwide program, um, very well-structured with Freddie Mac. um, And um, we just um, think it's a magical tool in the apartment industry to be able to use.
0: And can you repeat the name of that program again?
1: It's called a Supplemental Loan Program within Freddie Mac
0: interesting okay yeah that's the first time i've heard of that that's uh makes a lot of sense <clears throat> from the bank's perspective as well um so yeah it seems like a really good tool that you can use to uh, to really augment your your return for the investors that are along along for the ride
1: and, and what you're doing also is yes you're you're giving return to the investors but you can also take a good portion of those dollars as well and and, and put it back into the property so you can constantly improve your asset which in turn constantly puts you in a good position within the market. And um, when we think about numbers, the average apartment owner invests about $500 per unit per year year into their apartment. We invest about $1,000 per unit per year into our apartment. And it makes a difference really when you think about your clients because they see that investment and then your turnover ratio lowers. Yep. Biggest cost, yeah, vacancy and turnover. Yep. So how do you try and um, mitigate that while, well, by the way, you're improving your asset value the whole way? Um, so simple stuff, you know, that you just get to learn after doing this stuff for a long time that I hope some of your list- listeners will um, be able to benefit from.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's those uh, small improvements um, to your approach that really make the difference, you know, over the long run. So I'm sure uh, that's a a unique uh, program. So I'm sure people, hopefully people take advantage of that. Sounds like a good one. Um, So we have run through our time. I do have to push this on before we do, though. So you mentioned 8% cash on cash and then 12% IRR. Is that um, just baseline? So you're like no improvements, no value add. That's just what you expect to buy. And then over the course of the 10 year period, you expect an average cash-on-cash cash
1: of 8%. So we do bake in the assumption of improvements if we are doing a repositioning. About half of what we buy, we reposition and do about twenty five, thirty five thousand dollars $35,000 per unit on for a reposition. Um, so we do bake that into the assumptions, but it is a, it is a baseline. We assume that we are going to hit a minimum of mid teens returns or our historic returns of over twenty percent IRRs. That is our that's our objective in what we're doing.
0: Very cool. All right, I'm going to take that as an opportunity to move us along to the quick question round. Are you ready? Sure. Let's do it. It starts with books or any form of education. It could be YouTube channels, documentaries, whatever, Netflix shows. Um, I just need two recommendations, one for general life wisdom, one for real estate.
1: Okay. So general life wisdom, I'd go to the International Builder Show. Anybody who hasn't done it, there's a multifamily housing section in it. It's in Las Vegas every year. You're going to see all the products you can ever imagine. And all of the programming that is out there is fantastic. Um, so great thing, great experience to have. I've done it since I've been eight, eight years old. I would go with my parents. And it's it's just a fun thing to do, and and you learn a lot. The second thing is um follow the real estate section in the Wall Street Journal. So many people talk about it, and um, we all get lumped together. Right now, people say the apartment business must be terrible because they read about what's going on in the office world. It's not accurate but you need that basis you have to understand what's happening in the global real estate market to understand what's happening in your market and you have to be able to speak to it so i've really found that the wall street journal is fantastic in bringing a lot of that voice to the table um and you get it every day so it's just sort of an easy fun thing to do that everybody can just get the app and 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 read the articles and i think probably take a lot on how they want to do it
0: Good recommendations. Um, the The International Builders Show that sounds uh, like a lot of fun. I I like conferences. <clears throat> I've been wanting to go to more just because, um, you know, I say this. I've had this conversation with so many people on the podcast that the more engaged you get with the broader, um, you know, community of real estate investing, the more fun it becomes, and also the more connections you make, and the uh, uh, the more opportunities that kind of cross cross your desk. So. Good recommendation. Um, also Wall Street Journal. I have a subscription to the New York Times. I've been thinking about switching back or switching over to the Wall Street Journal. Might have to take this opportunity to do that. So um, thank you for those. I'm going to move us on to the next one. And this is for your younger self. So let's go back to the Dobbs back in. Let's see. What was that? 1992 when you entered your uh, your family business. Go back to him and look him in the eye. Give him one piece of advice moving forward.
1: Um. The one piece of advice I would say is, um, it's all going to work out like the, like we all set a lot of expectations on ourselves and put a lot of pressure on ourselves. And I think if you just get up, go to work, come up with your plan, by the way, write down your goals for yourself, your health, your family, and your work every year, revisit them every month, just go through it. Don't make them overwhelming but just be consistent about it. Then just get up every day and try and go to work. And it's amazing when you do that, how things actually happen. And I think your younger self is always questioning. How am I going to get there? What am I going to do? How am I going to do it? It doesn't matter. Just create the goals, write them down, start doing it. And somehow, some way magically, it just happens uh, when you dedicate yourself to it. And, um, to just take the pressure off.
0: Yeah, that's uh something I still struggle with, if I'm honest, um, is just kind of uh, you know, just doing the work and not being so worried about will we actually reach our goal. Um, I feel like that's really good advice, especially when when you're younger. You know, I've gotten better. I'm 37 now, so I've gotten better over time. But um definitely when I was in my early twenties, it was I was like, go, 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 I have to get there right now or else the world's gonna collapse. So Good advice. Um, moves us to the next question. This is about the U S it's a big place. There is a lot of opportunity out there. So give me one Metro, one single city area that you're most excited about investing in today.
1: Columbus, Ohio. Um, and so we're in Cincinnati, we do a lot of work up in Columbus. The growth of business in Columbus is phenomenal. Uh, They call it the Intel effect right now, Intel, Google, Facebook.
0: They're
1: they're all building. Um, And I think this is going to happen in other places in the Midwest, Indianapolis, um, Cincinnati. Um, But these are very affordable markets to be in. There's a lot of job growth when we look at what's going to happen. There's a lot of resources and tax benefits for being in these areas. And um, I think we're going to see a big push in the Midwest or any, really any of these intercoastal cities that are more working towns, but unbelievable lifestyles being not expensive, can do everything you want, um, low stress. And, and because it operates like that, then you can have fun and travel and build a great family and environment and, and really do anything you want. So I'm a big proponent of this kind of um, middle um, region within the U.S. that I think is going to end up having a lot of advantages for lifestyle when you think about um, building wealth, building your environment, and creating a structure around you that is the way that you want to operate.
0: Yeah, yeah, that uh, rings rings true. Um, especially we're in California right now, Santa Rosa, and I think the average house value here is uh, like six hundred something thousand. It's just it's not sustainable. Who can buy that? <laughs> <All right. laughs> working a normal job. Um. So yeah, Columbus, great, uh, great suggestion. We actually we own a um, self storage facility in Indianapolis, and I've been wanting to buy uh, more out there because I really like that area. Um, Home run. Yep. Yeah. All right. Next question is about finding the deal. It all starts with getting in contact with the seller um, and writing up that purchase agreement. So what is your favorite way to generate leads and find new deals?
1: We do it two ways. We do it direct. Um, so we keep a listing of every property that we would want to buy in each city. So we we know what they are. Um, and then we reach out to them. We, we're a known quantity in our region. So we you know, get an opportunity a lot of times to have a conversation. Um, And then the other 50% we do with brokers and you have to have a relationship with the broker. We get a lot of deals because we um, know the brokers, they know how we're going to perform and we're a known quantity in regards to delivering. And so I think it's, it's not only the contact, but you have to deliver on what you're going to say you're going to do and you have to be at or better than market. And so what I mean by that is, you know, when, when you sign up a deal, you got to get the contract done within a week or two, mm. you've got to get your due diligence done within two weeks after that. You have to have your Wait, financing. Wow. That's quick. You have to have your financing running a parallel path and you have to close in 60 or 90 days yeah. and you got to have your equity already sitting in there. So I think it's being extremely prepared and being able to act and follow up and do exactly what you say you're going to do for the seller, but to have the confidence in you as a buyer. And a lot of times I would tell you, we're not the high price, but we are known, you know, we might be right there, right, right close at it, but they know we're going to close. They know we're going to follow our path. Um, the seller knows it and the broker knows it and there's a confidence that this is going to close and by the way they have to close like the sellers have to have these properties close or they create a lot of ripple effects for everyone down the line yeah
0: yeah building that reputation um is so important i've uh, i still have not added brokers to my outreach. We do all off market, um, but it's something I need to do because everybody comes on here, especially with people as much experience as you do say, you know, 50% of our, our deals come from brokers. So, um, good advice, uh, moves us to the next question. And this is about your business. Um, I, I know you, you kind of stepped into the shoes with your, uh, with your dad and your grandpa. Um, let's, uh, consider if you were to just completely walk away from everything and start your own business completely new, fresh, just you and a pad and paper, maybe a computer. Um if you were to restart your business, what would be the first three positions you hired? And what order would you do them in?
1: So one, I would do it as a teen. I I would I would not try to do something by myself. It's 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 too hard. There's too many critical aspects. Um so I'd have somebody in, in finance that understood the numbers. I'd have um, somebody in operations that understood how to um, run and maintain a property in the right way. Um, And I'd have somebody dedicated on acquisitions. It's a full time. doesn't matter at what scale. If you're buying a couple houses a a year, it's a dedicated approach in each one of those areas that are critical. You have to know how to operate have to know how to finance it the right way, um, and um, and you have to know how to find the deals. And so I would really start with that, but I'd do it as a group, mm. which I know that can seem hard to bring on partners, but each piece of this has its specialty. Yeah. And I think that's what's critical in our business. It's not a complicated business, but there's so many parts and pieces to it that you realize that you're just not going to be an expert in it all at any time, you have to find the experts in those parts and pieces, put them together. The scale of it will find its success. And this is one of the one businesses in the world. um, There's plenty of money to go around. You'll never have to worry about that. That's not the problem. It's making sure that you've got the right team that you've put in place to do this the right way. Yeah. Uh,
0: Yeah. I feel like that's finance ops acquisitions um that is the the perfect trio of uh, of partners to to start a venture um it is difficult to find good partners out there i will say that but uh but when you find them you got to hold on to them and uh, and go on the ride together all right next question is i lost my spot so give me a second um biggest lessons learned uh not every deal that we go into goes the way we expect it a lot of times a wrench is thrown into the system and deal goes a little bit sideways so what is one deal that went away that you did not expect and what was the lesson that you pulled from it
1: so um, the biggest lesson learned is time really matters Um, we do a lot of um, um, uh, improvements at our properties and so we'll buy a deal And then we'll go through and redo the kitchens and baths, electrical plumbing, um, and we'll reposition the asset. Um, And we've learned um, through a lot of hard lessons that if we're not set up to do that the right way and we don't do it in the right amount of speed, one, it's going to cost us too much money. We're not going to get the rhythm and the effect on the unit that we want. And two, time is money. So you think you're going to get a unit online and you don't and you don't get that rent bump, when a renewal comes, then you've left a lot of money on the table. And real estate is, in this case, when you're looking at that operating income, when you didn't get that dollar in that month, that's gone forever. So the effectiveness of how you build, the speed at which how you build, how you move the rents if you're doing a repositioning, we, we have taken a lot of lumps over the years. We finally have it down, um, but it's critical to make sure that you've made the right assumptions and structure when you set that up. And today, now we do a rapid renovation, and we can we can remodel about three to five units occupied in one day.
0: Wow, <laughs> that is impressive.
1: Yep. Kitchens, baths electrical and plumbing. And then we know we can do a 300 unit community in about six to seven months. And we know that when that unit turns that we are ready to get the repositioning on rent that we're looking for, or when the lease renewals, we can take them through a stepped up process over usually about two years. So we don't impact the renter too heavily. Um, but man, did we leave a lot of money on the table over the years yeah. that, um, I wish we would have done a better job.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, that is something that definitely comes with experience. Um, you know, that's not something that we, if I did that right now, I would not be able to hit a day. Absolutely not. Um, so that is quite a, uh, quite a feat to be able to do. And, um, you know, time is money. Absolutely. And now that you guys are there, uh, you guys have definitely a competitive advantage, um, over, over the competition. So, uh, I'm going to move us on to the second to last question. This is about your strengths. Uh, we're all gifted with, um, gifts that we uniquely provide this world. So what is your Superman strength?
1: <laughs> well, um, um, I would say it's, um, communication and care. Um, you know, what's your purpose? Um, uh, my per- purpose is to make a positive impact on the people around me. And so can you connect that to a business that you're doing? And can you make a difference in somebody else's life? And what's been so surprising to me is somehow when you concentrate on somebody else's well-being and success, how in turn, that comes back to you tenfold. And so I would just say for all your listeners, man, spend time on other people and what you can do for them. And somehow, some way, that is going to reap 10 times the rewards, um, back to yourself. Um, and it's a lot of fun, you know, it's, it's, it's a mission. And, um, so I, I feel like that's my superpower strength, although it's just not that hard. (laughs) Um, so it feels kind of silly to say, but, um, but I think, you know, probably caring for others is, is, is the key to having success long-term. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's it's almost, almost counterintuitive. Um, but giving really does giving to others really does give you, um, the most, even though that's not the goal you're trying to give to others, but it just works out that, uh, the boomerang effect just comes right back to you. So that is a good strength to have. Um, and that leads us to the last question. This is for the listeners. I'm sure people want to reach out, get in contact with you. Um, what is the best way for them to do that? And what can they expect when they do reach out?
1: So um, AckermanGroup.com is our website. Ackerman's with two N's. Um, my email is Dobbs, D-O-B-B-S, at group.com I'm happy to take any email and um, provide any advice that I can. I'm a huge proponent of, of the real estate market, particularly apartments. We don't have enough people in it. We need more people in it. And um, I think anyone who's interested in getting involved in real estate, um, it is a great business to be connected to. So um, encourage anyone to reach out to me and I'd be happy to um, shed any light on that I can that may help you.
0: Perfect. <clears throat> so that's Ackermangroup.com. A-C-K-E-R-M-A-N-N group.com. I'll put that link in the show notes. So if you guys want to reach out to Dobbs, just click the little more in the description. It'll pull down that full description and in there you can find his links. All right, Dobbs, that uh, that wraps it up. I appreciate you hopping on the show and uh, sharing your wisdom.
1: Hey, thanks so much. Appreciate you having me.
0: Absolutely. For everybody who's here with us today, thank you guys for showing up. You are the reason we do this. So if you guys have any questions whatsoever, reach out to me, Gabe, the real estate investing Club.com. Um, If you guys want to support the show, just give us a like, subscribe, share, all that jazz. Other than that, I hope you guys have a great week. Keep rocking real estate. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. All right. Before I officially sign off, I have a quick announcement to make. If you're interested in becoming a passive investor in one of my deals, my own company, Kaizen Properties, is looking for capital partners for our upcoming projects. We invest in what are known as recession-resistant assets, mainly self-storage facilities, mobile home and RV parks, and industrial properties. If you're interested in investing and would like to learn a little bit more about my company, our investing criteria, and some of the previous projects we've done,